Music Matters here on Whiskey FM. Yeah. 
Scott from Alterbridge, welcome uh, back to, to Glasgow again. It's not, not that long since you were last here. Thank you so much for having us back. I think we were probably here back in 2016 or possibly 17. I know that we did um, a Glasgow show uh, at, at the release of uh, uh, The Last Hero, the, the last Alterbridge record, um, and came back over uh, right after the Royal Albert Hall show that we did or the shows that we did in London uh, but I think it was Edinburgh was, it was, the, definitely Edinburgh. was the, the city that we were in last time so it's always great to be back here we love this venue and I'm certainly looking forward to the show it's nice to hear you pronouncing Edinburgh correctly <laughs> <laughs> I had a uh, I had a teacher uh, in uh, in middle school who was from Edinburgh so I, I learned how to say it even with the, the, a bit of a brogue as well so a lot of people from your, your, your home country is Edinburgh. Right. I can't say it the way they say it, but they don't, <laughs> they don't say it right. The Scotland's one of the, the, the first countries mm-hmm. uh, to take Alterbridge to heart yes. back in uh, back in the day, around about the time of that first mm-hmm. album. Absolutely. Uh, how, how well do you remember that? Um, actually, pretty well. Uh, we, I think it was the garage is where we played, if I remember correctly. There's a couple different venues that we've, we've played here before we were fortunate enough to, to move up into the uh, the hydro here. Um, but yes, I can remember uh, pretty vividly. I, we always had the uh, the Logan Boys who were uh, a local band that, that always made this journey with us. And uh, Glasgow is their hometown, I believe. So we would always see them on a very regular basis. And a lot of their friends would come out to the shows and stuff like that. So... Uh, it's always been a great home for us, uh, and we are certainly fortunate and love uh, the fact that we get to come back here at least once or twice in album cycle. I praised you on your pronunciation of Edinburgh, but uh, <laughs> you failed the test on the garage. Oh, my bad. My, see, like I said, I, I had the teacher, she, she you know, told us how to say Edinburgh, but I, I never got the, uh, the garage. Part, so. <laughs> that's close. Yeah, it's close, closer, closer. We call it garage, and uh, back in the, in the states. Now, this new album is just out what a couple of months now. Yes. And uh, well, how well has it been going down live? Presumably, uh, you're playing a few tracks from it live. We are. We've got, uh, I guess, there's about seven songs that we're sort of rotating through. Um, where. Uh, We've, Wouldn't You Rather has been in the set since day one, since that was the, the first single that we released off the album. Uh, and the song Pay No Mind has been a regular in the set uh, pretty much since we first started touring on this record. And then we've got a couple other ones that we sort of rotate through, um, depending on which night. Um, we try to sort of keep it interesting for the fans, at least to have a couple of audibles per night where we can... Uh, you know, rotate through songs. So people that are coming to multiple shows don't feel like they're just watching the same show the whole time. Um, Godspeed uh, is a song that we started doing uh, here on this European run, and it's been in the set uh, every night since we started. Um, but the reception's been great. You know, you can certainly uh, you can certainly tell people are are watching and listening, and you know they're not quite as active and dancing around and jumping and stuff because they want to watch the performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reception for, for all the songs have been very strong and uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. Do you find that when you write and record a new album and you go out and tour, that when you're in the recording studio, you, you think, 
now that's going to be a great live song that's mm-hmm. going to be done live and then when you start playing it on tour mm-hmm. it doesn't quite work does there, that ever happen? It's, it certainly does and vice versa there's some songs that you just think oh this will be an album track and then once you finally hear it recorded and all the parts added to it and then perform it it might react a lot better than you thought it would have you you, you never know I mean you can have a gut feeling uh, with any song in, in any album but until you actually play it forward in front of the fans you never quite know what you're going to get interesting I was talking to the Shinedown boys earlier mm-hmm. and, and we were talking about uh, the meet and greet mm-hmm. thing the fact that uh, uh, this is well 20 years ago if a band uh, was signing an autograph mm-hmm. and uh, uh, maybe getting their picture taken with mm-hmm. the, the band at the stage door right, um, right, right. it was you know there, there was no question about money changing hands right but of course, the business has changed so much now. Very much. So. And you know, an album like What the Sky would maybe a maybe a sold five million copies <laughs> 10, 20 years ago. But now maybe yeah. you sell a million copies, so you've got to make a living yeah. by selling T-shirts, by doing gigs, absolutely, and meet and greet. Absolutely, yeah. The the, the industry has certainly changed, and uh, the way the artists make money, um, and we still we you know. Are, are fortunate enough that our, our tours are well attended, especially over here. Um, you know, bands have been doing merchandise forever, so that's always been a part of it. But um, album sales and the way you get paid from albums is completely different now. And obviously, everybody with if it's iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or whatever outlet you get your music from, very little of that ever makes its way to the artist itself. So we've all had to get sort of creative and finding different ways and different avenues to, uh, you know, maximize uh, profit, but at the same time still give fans something that they can enjoy. And that would be, you know, for us, uh, and each band does it differently, but we have uh, everybody come in and gets to watch us do sound check, um, you know, run through songs, practice songs, whatever. And then afterwards there's uh, sort of a meet and greet photo opportunity and a chance to, to say, Hey, real quick. And, um, then you know those fans are uh, the first that are allowed to hit the merch booth so they can get whatever they want before anybody else can if somebody needs an extra small or double XL and you know uh, they get sold out during the show uh, and then also have uh, early access back into the venue so they can be the right on the front row if they choose to be um, another thing that's changed over a longer period of time uh, and I've I've lived through it, and I wonder I wonder how you'd have managed back in the in the sixties and the seventies, mm-hmm. the Beatles and the Stones and Zeppelin, and mm-hmm. Purple, etc. And Sabbath, mm-hmm. recording an album in a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. and quite often bringing out an album twice a year, if not yeah. one certainly maximum was once a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bridge and your contemporaries, mm-hmm. it tends to be a two to three year cycle. It is. Do you think you could have managed it back in the day? Um, I think the whole process was probably a lot easier back then. Honestly, I, I, you know, it was four guys in a room that recorded a song and they did it till they got it right and then they moved on to the next song. And nowadays, uh, there's a lot of layers to it. You know, the drums, at least the way that we've been doing it, is drums get recorded first and then the bass and then uh, Mark's guitars, Miles' guitars, solos, vocals, overdubs. Um, and it's uh, 
you know, with technology now, it's much easier to make an album, I think. Um, but it also seems to take a little bit longer to do it, just the way the process is. Um, we've done recording where it was, you know, the four of us in a room and just recording it. Uh, that was some of how Blackbird uh, was, was tracked, the original, or the, the first one we started working with uh, uh, Elvis Basquette, who's been our producer now for the last five records. Some of it was more live and then some of it was done in pieces. But um, yeah, it's, you know, and, and I guess sort of the way the, uh, the industry works now is they don't want you to oversaturate the market with uh, new material uh, or new albums per se. I know that there's a lot of pop artists and some rock artists that are considering doing it, but it's basically going in and just recording a couple songs and then putting them out. Mm touring to support that and then you know a few months later doing the same thing as opposed to making full-length albums um, which is not something that uh, I think we would be interested in doing but it's it's certainly an interesting take on the uh, on the music industry these days looked on to Scott Phillips from Alter Bridge and it's time for some music so I think we'll play a track from uh, Walk the Sky uh, we'll go in in, in in the deep I wonder okay. Scott is that one that you're playing live uh, it is one that we do play live uh, on any given night. Um, it's uh, uh, one of the three or four that we sort of rotate through. Um, I won't say whether it's going to be played tonight or not, but um, it, it'll certainly come up within the next few shows for sure. Okay, let's hear it in the deep from Walk the Sky from Alterbridge.
snippets from the, the new Alterbridge album. The album's titled Walk the Sky, and we're chatting with Scott Phillips from the band. Uh, Scott, the um, album sleeve, I think mm-hmm. Alterbridge album sleeves are always interesting. They've yeah. always got that sort of sense of mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that about? Uh, they've also, in my opinion, mm-hmm. got that great... You can't put your finger on it, but you just think... I'd buy a T-shirt with that on it. It's just—it's <laughs> looking great. I, I think yeah. it's, it's Dan Tremonti that's done it again. Dan, Mark, yeah, Mark Dan's—he's always been uh, as far as our albums go, and uh, with this one specifically, the front cover, um, uh, always a, a, an element of art, uh, of some mystery to it. Um, uh, We've always wanted, you know, our album covers to sort of stand on their own as something that are interesting, as opposed to just being a support for the band, you know, name and the, and the name of the album. So uh, the imagery on this one I thought was really, really cool. We've seen a few tattoos already of people that had sort of rushed out when they saw it and decided that was something they wanted to commit permanently to their wow. body. Um, but I think each one is is different, sort of alludes to the album title or whatever it is but also has just sort of you know its own merit can stand on its own when it comes to songwriting mm-hmm. the, the whole band credited as, mm-hmm. as uh, songwriters you're actually sitting in a studio and maybe mark comes in with a riff and mm-hmm. miles comes in with a bit of lyric mm-hmm. how do you contribute well i think Mark and, and Miles are certainly the primary songwriters, um, and a, a lot of it is, is catalog. They'll write constantly on the road, at home, whatever it is. And uh, Going back to technology, it's uh, so easy now to open GarageBand or Logic or Pro Tools or whatever software you use and uh, record some ideas into there and be able to add layers to it later on. But I think they're just trying to get their, you know, their main riff and ideas down and Sometimes it's uh, a, just a verse or just a chorus, and sometimes it's the verse and chorus. And um, a lot of it uh, gets cataloged early. Then we'll all come in the four of us together. And the last couple times with Elvis, uh, our producer, and basically sit down in a room and, and hash through ideas. And um, that's a time where the Everybody just sort of gets to put in their input of what they think. If, if this part feels right or that, you know, this particular part feels like it's being forced in there and doesn't need to be there, um, it's just a time for the four of us to really kind of get the song structure down and find parts that all, you know, give us a feeling or emotion whenever it's played. Um, and I think that's sort of the approval process is once the four of us are all on the same page, like, yeah, this is really cool, that's what we'll move forward with. In your opinion, mm-hmm. and only in your opinion, mm-hmm. who was the greatest drummer of all time? Oh boy. Um, for me, it would have to be John Bonham. I think he's probably, uh, of all the, the guys that I was influenced by when I first started playing, um, and then sort of looking back to see who they were influenced by, but it was certainly... Um, he was sort of the the godfather to me of modern rock drumming and and there's a lot of great drummers from from classic rock era um but he was the one uh, him as a player and the the band that he was with that i really gravitated towards so my vote would be bonham um but i can certainly hear arguments for others 
Do you enjoy a dram of whiskey, Scott? I have been known to partake in uh, in some whiskey. I, I tend to be more of a vodka drinker by nature, but um, but I've uh, certainly had my fair share of whiskey. I really like uh, old fashions, which is just sort of whiskey, a little bit of water, some bitters, uh, some sugar, and then a zest of orange, if you will, or whatever. That's that's become my uh, my gentlemanly drink of late. Um, that I've, I've really enjoyed. Any particular whiskey? Um, uh, Brian says Crown. That I was, seven years. Yeah, that was, good man. That was him back in the day for sure. He was the, uh, he was the whiskey warlord as we call him, but too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all been guilty of it, but, uh, he decided it was time for him to get, get, uh, get, clean I should say or, or walk the straight and narrow and he's he's been a fabulous human being for it so um, uh, for whiskeys uh, a bullet I don't know if you guys bourbon? Bullet. yes mm-hmm. it's a bourbon um, but I've, I've certainly enjoyed that I do like Crown Royal I know that there are some great uh, Scottish whiskeys that I'm not overly familiar with but uh, have heard great things about have you ever been on a distillery tour? Um, not of any major brand. Um, I've had a, a a very small distillery that was uh, in uh, Hilton Head, South Carolina, which is a small little little resort community uh, that my family and I would go up there every few years for a vacation week. And uh, the last time that we were up there, they've got a Hilton Head distillery where they do. Um, they have a rum, they have a, I believe they have a vodka, they've got a, a couple of other things. I, I'm not sure if they do a whiskey or not, I'd have to go back and look. But um, We got to do a small tour of the distillery and then a, a, a tasting and uh, it was it was really interesting. I've, I've always been interested in, in how that process actually works and the size of a, you know, a building that you would need to do something like that and they were certainly a small time manufacturer but still had quite an impressive setup. Can you remember the, the very first whiskey you, you, you tried? Oh, I'm sure it was probably Jack Daniels. That would With Colt? Yes, yes, absolutely. Or maybe just straight at that time, yeah. It's, it's become the, the rock and roll drink. Back in the 60s and 70s, it was very much a case of Scotch and Coke was mm-hmm. the, you know, the Stones and the type of yeast. Sure. You know, Scotch and Coke was the, was the drink, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Daniels seems to have taken over in that particular. Yeah, yeah. It's such. A, I mean, it's from being from the states. It's such a, a major player there when it comes to whiskeys. You know, you, before you can even drink whiskey, you know what Jack Daniels is. So that's. I'm sure that was probably the reason that was my first uh, first sample of whiskey. You've played here in, in Glasgow at the Hydro a few times. You've played mm-hmm. other venues as we mentioned, but mm-hmm. you've, you've you've played the Hydro a few times. Yeah. How'd you rate it? I think it's great. It's uh, really compared to some of the other arenas, which are all very nice, but uh, they're more laid out for sporting events, uh, which I'm sure that you can do here as well, but it's more of an oval shape uh, where the hydro is sort of almost more in the round, um, a much larger floor area where I think it's better sight lines for, for crowd goers that can see the show. Um, the, uh, the accommodations for us are extremely lovely and, um, the building itself looks really cool at night with all the mm-hmm. uh, the LED lights going. So it's uh, it's certainly one of my favorites. I've always I've remembered this place 
uh, from the first time we played here. Like, I always kind of think back to fond memories of, of playing here and being here. The Royal Albert Hall is another venue that uh, probably brings back good memories. It certainly does. Uh, yeah. Recording there with the 52 Pete's Orchestra. Yes. Uh, how difficult was that, adjusting your performance and, and listening to different sounds? It was. Uh, it was an amazing experience, uh, certainly nerve-wracking. Um, the prestigiousness of the venue itself alone was was uh, enough to, to raise your heart rate significantly. Um, playing with the orchestra, uh, we all did a lot of homework ahead of time. We, we uh, picked uh, a set list that was not normal for us. We did a lot more of the, uh, the epic songs, songs that just felt like it uh, having an orchestra added to them would, would really enhance those tunes. And so we picked a set list according to that. It was probably longer than we've ever played. It was had to be close to about two and a half hours worth of performance itself. Um, uh, we had a couple of days of rehearsal built in and we were getting... Uh, tracks from the orchestra basically you know they had written out what they were going to do put it into a keyboard and then played it back so we could kind of at least get a feel for what their parts were going to be but actually sitting in a room and playing with them was completely different and we uh, all initially uh, were saying yeah turn the orchestra up in our monitors we really want to hear it and then found ourselves missing complete sections of songs because we were so enamored with what they were doing that we forgot to do what we were supposed to do uh, so we finally had to adjust our levels back down to, to audible, but, but barely. Um, and then uh, going through the, the way that they had written the parts and the, their arrangements of the songs versus our arrangements of the songs. So there was uh, a couple of things that had to be worked out there. At the end of the day, we thought that we would probably get through the set four or five times within those two days worth of rehearsals before we got to do the show uh, and turns out we only got through it once from making adjustments and sounds and uh, arrangements and uh, union breaks and all you know the, the typical things that go along with, with working with such a, a large group um, we got through a, a couple of songs multiple times but, but really the set from front to back just one time so going in uh, that first night there were certainly a lot of nerves but we were confident in ourselves and more than confident in uh, Simon and uh, the Parallax Orchestra to do what they do so well um, and we we got through it you know the first night was uh, a lot of nerves but a lot of fun and then the second night once we really knew what we were you know what we would expect what the crowd would expect it just it was like a big party it was awesome Two quick questions to finish it. Mm -hmm. uh, Scott, firstly, what's your sport? For me, I'm, uh, I'm an American football guy. Um, I know every time I say American football, uh, everybody over here says they don't even use their feet. Why, why, would, why would you call it football? I don't have an answer for that. But. There's an American football team here in Glasgow. Is there? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. um, it's building. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen that the, the NFL has, has had a few games uh, over here this last year. I'm trying to sort of spread the sport and see if they can grow their, their fan base. But um, I'm more of a college football guy. I, I 
went to Florida State University in Tallahassee. My parents both went there, so I was sort of born and raised on that. So that's the team that I follow, and I'm really all of their sports I follow. But uh, for pro teams, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're so close to Orlando, it's about an hour drive. Uh, so I've been following them for a while. Um, but in general, uh, I'll watch NFL games, NBA games. Uh, we recently got a, a Major League Soccer team in Orlando, um, uh, the Orlando City Lions. Um, and I have a, a friend that is one of the players on the team, so I've managed to get to a game or two and really taken an interest into it. It's been a lot of fun and uh, excited for when World Cups come around and that type of thing. It, it, certainly has gotten my interest in football, soccer, as we call it, uh, raised significantly. Scott Phillips, uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you again today. Um, we're going to play another track from Walk the Sky. Uh, and this track, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the song before we ever we listen to this? Take the Crown. Take the Crown. Um, uh, probably one of our... our favorite songs right out of the gate once the album was sort of coming together and we were listening to demos that was one that I was really drawn to um, uh, Miles will tell you the story of what it's about um, better than I would be able to uh, it, but it's basically about you know just sort of standing up you know not worrying about people that are coming at you or trying to knock you down but just hold your ground and uh, you know, strive for the best uh, in general. He wrote it. It was based on a little league experience he had uh, as a youth um, playing baseball, uh, and they were going up against the top team in the, their league or whatever it was, and how they all pulled together and uh, you know managed to win that game and and not be affected by their comebacks or, or any of that kind of stuff. So it's not quite as, uh, as eloquent uh, as I'm sure some people thought the song was about, but that's, that's the basic story of it. Let's hear it. State the Crown from Alterbridge. Scott Phillips, thank you. Thank you. So sorry. 